Would you open up your Bibles again, please, to John chapter 16? And as you do so, let's pray and ask God for his help. Let's pray. Father, if we are to have comfort or to have change, Lord, we need your Spirit working in our hearts and lives. So, Father, would you teach us by your Spirit, we pray. Would you give us hearts that are receptive to your Word and lives that are willing to change. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever life gives you lemons, make lemonade. It's probably the least helpful saying for anyone experiencing sorrow ever made. I reckon it goes on the list alongside man up to the crying teenage boy. Uh, There's plenty more fish in the sea to the crying teenage girl. Um, Everything happens for a reason to whoever's crying. It's right up there on that list of unhelpful sayings, isn't it? Along with, there's always four years time to crying Irish rugby fans. Whenever life gives you lemons, make lemonade. I think it's especially unhelpful because in trying to be really clever, it's not. But more than that, I think it denies human experience, doesn't it? It's not as simple as that. Turning your sorrows into joy with some water and sugar. It's not how life works. And so often experience tells you Whenever life gives you lemons, in the words of Andy Bernard, you've got to eat them, rinds and all. It's a horrible experience. It's not possible for us to cheer up like that. It's hard to see reasons for joy, especially when things are tough, especially when we're by ourselves. And Jesus tells us in today's passage that life will indeed hand us lemons. This life that we live will have in store for us better circumstances, suffering and sorrow. It's guaranteed. Jesus tells us that if we're his people, if we're believers in Jesus, we're going to have tribulation because of our love for Jesus. He tells his disciples in verse 20 that they will weep and lament as the world rejoices. And because of the effects of sin on this world, people like you and me, people in general, people will suffer in this world. Suffering and sorrow are non-negotiables of life, especially if you're a Christian. There's a guy called Nietzsche. He's a 19th century philosopher. I don't know anything about him other than he couldn't have been farther from a Christian if he tried. But he had it right. And he says to live is to suffer. That's true. That's true for us. We all suffer. And this morning, whether you know it or not, you are suffering. Maybe your your response to that is, and boy, don't I know it. Maybe that's you. You're really aware of particular sufferings in your life. Whether that's illness, whether it's mental health, loneliness, family problems, crises of faith. Maybe it's even just being impacted by what your loved ones are dealing with or going through. Maybe you're even suffering in home or at work because you're a Christian. And those are very real things that we deal with. And those are not things to be buried down when we come to church, but things to talk about so we can support one another. But maybe for you, your, your suffering isn't so explicit. You hear that word suffering, you turn on the news and you see deaths and violence and wars and atrocities, and you think, that's suffering. And you're not worthy of that label. Let me tell you, 
if you're human, you're suffering. And maybe, yeah, the pain isn't so acute. More likely or not, more likely than not, you're experiencing what one writer describes as the dull ache that despair brings. Not something huge and, and, and life-impacting, but the nagging, unshakable sense that this life isn't all it's cracked up to be. That there must be more to life than what you're experiencing. The realization that actually to follow Jesus doesn't mean your best life now. To follow Jesus in the words of Jesus means you're going to have tribulation. But Jesus doesn't just give us bad news and leave us to flounder. And Jesus doesn't just give us bad news along with some nice cliches for us to put our trust in and then be disappointed by. Jesus in his gospel gives us joy and hope. Joy and hope that lasts. Joy and hope that makes a difference. Joy and hope that gives fuel for life. In the passage this morning, Jesus is bringing his farewell discourse to an end. This discourse started way back in chapter 13. The next chapter, chapter 17, details what's known as Jesus' high priestly prayer before John's gospel account returns to narrative. And this, So this morning's passage details for us Jesus' last words to his disciples before he, their leader and teacher and friend, would be betrayed arrested, put on trial, and tortured, and put to death. For the disciples' trouble was coming their way. Jesus was warning them of this. But what hope could he offer them in this time of need? What sort of hope does Jesus offer people like us in our time of need? If you look at the passage, you'll see that when Jesus is talking to his disciples, they don't really have a clue what he's talking about. There's misunderstanding on their part. And we've seen that time and time again throughout John's gospel account. Uh, Verses 16 to 18 show us again. A little while and you will see me no longer. This is Jesus speaking. And again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they're saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. The disciples are confused by what Jesus is saying. They don't have a notion about what he's talking about. But they don't want to go to Jesus and ask for an explanation. Thankfully, Jesus knows his disciples like he knows all of his people. Like he knows you if you're in Christ this morning. Intimately. He knows what would have been on their minds. And so he moves to address their confusion. And bring clarity and hope into the troubles that they're not even aware they're going to face. It should be said that Jesus' tone here, as it is when, always is when it comes to troubles or anxieties or sufferings and sorrow, it's not one of correction. It's one of concern. Jesus is deeply concerned with the welfare and the good of his people. So he moves to address his disciples' confusion, verses 19 to 20. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. 
and here, even though it's not immediately evident, we see how Jesus starts to move to bring hope and joy in times of sorrow. He explains what he, he meant by his use of this phrase, a little while. The first time Jesus uses the phrase, a little while, a little while and you'll see me no longer, he's referring to his death. His death by crucifixion, this brutal death that will take him away from his disciples. That's what he means when he says, you will not see me. That's why they will weep and lament. That's why they will experience sorrow in the short term. While evil men rejoice in the death of the perfect one, the lamb without blemish, his disciples will be sorrowful. They'll have lost a friend. The only way of living that they've known for the last three years will have gone, and any sort of sense of hope that they would have had will have evaporated with the death of Jesus. But Jesus gives them a promise at the end of verse 20. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Jesus' promise to his disciples and to all of his followers is that sorrow will not have the last say to those who are his. Jesus will not allow it. He explains, verses 21 to 25, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take from you your joy. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus is telling the disciples that if the first a little while used refers to his death, the second time he uses it, a little while and you will see me, is talking of his resurrection. His victory over death. And not just victory over his death, but victory over the cosmic power of sin and death and the stain that that leaves on the world. That is good news for people who are suffering people who are sorrowful and in these few verses jesus gives two reasons that his disciples can have hope and joy why we can have hope and joy even in times of sorrow maybe even especially in times of sorrow he gives us two reasons for joy and hope and the first is this access By by virtue of Jesus' perfect life, his cruel death on the cross, and his resurrection that he points towards in this passage, those who are in Christ receive access to approach God in a new and living way. Those who belong to Jesus are able to enter God's presence, make requests of the God of creation, and be heard by God in a manner that should blow our tiny minds. You see that in verse 23. Jesus says, in that day, most likely the day of Jesus' resurrection and thereafter, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Now the word for ask here in the original Greek is eroteo, which means to sort of ask questions about or inquire of. In other words, what Jesus is saying to the disciples is, you will no longer to question who I am. You won't be in any doubts over who I am. His disciples will know because of Jesus rising from the dead that he is the son of God. 
one with the Father. The verse continues, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Now the second use of the word ask here in this passage is different from the first. It's aiteo, which relates to making a petition or a request. What Jesus is saying is this, because he will have rose from the dead in their times of sorrow, no longer will the disciples be in the dark about who Jesus is. No longer will there be this darkness and misunderstanding and confusion. But they will know Jesus for who he is, one with the Father, from God and God himself. And so his people can come to God himself with their petitions, with their requests, with whatever is on their heart. Whereas at the start of the passage, the disciples wouldn't even ask Jesus to explain himself. Look to verse 24 now. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. He is telling his people of the incredible access they have. They can make petitions to God in the name of Jesus Christ and receive from him. That's amazing. We see verses 26 and 27 that Christ's people can go to the Father directly in the name of Jesus. In that day, Jesus says, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from God. He's not saying here that he won't continue to intercede for his people. He does even today, praise God. But he's saying that for those who love him, they have this real, intimate, meaningful access to the living God through the life, death, and resurrection of the Savior. Why is that good news for sorrowful people? I don't know if you saw, but two Thursdays ago was World Mental Health Day. That's a great thing to talk about. It's a great thing to bring awareness to. And if you're online or on social media or even you saw promoted on the news, you will probably have seen people making the same plea. Talk to someone. Talk. That was the plea that was on the internet and on TV. And that's good advice. It's it's something we're bad at in Northern Ireland. But it's important. It's important to talk, to air out our feelings, to talk about our struggles. It's a healthy thing to do. Biblical counselor Ed Welsh talks about the importance of this time and time again, pointing to how scripture tells us to build one another up and carry each other's burdens. And when Jesus' disciples are about to experience sorrow like never before, both after Jesus' death, when they think they've lost him, and after his ascension, when they are persecuted for their faith, Jesus reminds them that they can talk. Not just to each other, but to the Father who loves them. If you are in Christ Jesus today, united to him through faith, you can go before the God of this universe. The God who made you for himself. The God who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. And we can talk. We can share our sufferings. We can bring our burdens to him. We can cry out before him and be heard. We can cast our cares upon him. Knowing that because of Jesus he cares for us. He listens to our requests. And when we make petitions of him in the name of Jesus and according to his will. He never fails to answer. You know, so often sorrow can 
isolate us. It can cause us to put the blinkers up and to look inward and maybe even from time to time throw a pity party for ourselves. But Jesus Christ has achieved for us access into the presence of God himself. A God who loves and cares. A God that we can boldly make requests of. A God who will never cut off our access from us. Can I encourage you this morning? Make use of that benefit that is yours in Christ. Take hold of the blessing he has given you that enables broken, messed up wretches like you and me to approach the throne of Almighty God and call him Father. To talk to him, to make requests of him, to be heard and answered. The Father himself loves you in Christ. You have access to him. Make use of that. Ask in the name of Jesus and be heard. Jesus tells us we have access. Jesus tells us we have assurance. I don't know if you've ever flown on a cross-Atlantic flight or further, but if you've done that without the joys of being upgraded, let me tell you, it's not much crack. Limited leg room for hours and hours, even stumpy little legs like mine get sore. And then you'll inevitably you'd be sat next to someone who's snoring on the left of you, someone who's blasting tinny sound and music through their headphones on their right, and you'll be so tired but unable to sleep. Throw in the luxury of plain food, plus all the stresses of airports, security, customs, especially if you're going to America, sometimes delays, and then there's the cost. Like, you wouldn't put yourself through it unless there was something better at the end, would you? a holiday or seeing some friends or time away with loved ones. And at times this life can be a whole lot worse than a transatlantic flight. Hardship and heartache, tiredness and tension, suffering and sorrows. They're very real. And so in verses 21 to 22, Jesus helpfully gives us a metaphor that always seems new. It's so fresh and vivid. He says this, when a woman is giving birth, She has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now. But I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. Wow. I think it's safe to say if women could remember the anguish of labor without having their memory clouded by their love for children and the joy that children bring, our congregation would be a whole lot smaller, wouldn't it? We wouldn't need so many click leaders. But Jesus uses this example of the woman in labor, her pain and suffering and torment, and then subsequent joy of giving birth to a child to show that any suffering we may experience in this world is worth it. Because of what rejoicing there will be, rejoicing that is assured for us by Christ, rejoicing when we see Jesus face to face. Paul in Romans 8 uses very similar language where he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Like the woman who 
remembers the anguish of labor no more. For you and me, we can be assured that the sorrows of this world will one day fade away. Every sad thing will become undone. Every agony experience, C.S. Lewis writes, will be turned into a glory. And we will have joy achieved for us by Jesus, joy in Jesus, joy from Jesus, joy with Jesus forever. Because Jesus himself has attained that joy for us. The joy tied up in our salvation that he achieved through his life and death and resurrection, overcoming the world. And ultimately, nothing, no one, no power can take that away from you. Nothing can separate you from that joy that is yours in Christ Jesus. And that's not to say that your sorrows on earth will cease. More likely than not, they won't. That disease or illness that you have might be with you until the end. It might. Those anxious thoughts that continue to joyride in your mind, they might be there all your days. And while you're here on this earth, it might feel as though your heart will never heal from the heartbreak that you've experienced. Where there's sin, there will be relational strife. There will be trouble. There will be sorrows. But one day, Christ assures us, we will see him face to face. And all that will end. Our sorrows will turn to joy. Sorrow comes before joy. Suffering comes before glory. That's the pattern of the gospel. Christ suffered and died and then rose to defeat death, guaranteeing for those who put their trust in him life and life forever with joy unexplainable. And while you're here on earth, we will be battered by waves of despair and sorrow that toss us to and fro. But Jesus reminds us in those times to look to the assurance that he gives us. The irrevocable joy that will be given to us. And to think, as Ray Ortland says, what it will be like to be with the Lord. Drinking forever from the fountainhead of life. Swimming in the ocean of God's love. And never touching the bottom. The Father gives the Spirit to set that seal of assurance on our hearts to remind us of this joy that we will have because of Christ, the triune God working for our good and his glory. John records these words as the last real interaction Jesus has with his disciples before the crucifixion. These men would go on to suffer and have immense sorrow seeing their master crucified. They would suffer after Christ's ascension to most of them dying because of persecution. It's no coincidence that John records this. Jesus telling his people that they won't have to question him, but they instead can ask him anything. And in their sufferings, they can know that that won't last forever. But their sorrow will turn to joy. Whenever life gives you lemons, make lemonade. How empty does that sound? When put alongside the words of our Savior, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the access we have to you right now to come before you and thank you for the joy that you have stored up for us. The joy that we can have knowing that we can talk to you. The joy and hope that we can have knowing that one day sorrows will cease and we will have eternity with you. But in the meantime, Lord, we ask for your help. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to go before you with our prayers and requests, with our sufferings and our sorrows, casting our cares upon you. Father, ever remind us of what you have led up for us, the glory that is to be revealed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.